What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Giant Voices Podcast. This episode's important because it's actually my first guest episode, and having on my first guest was important to me. I wanted it to be somebody I had a great personal relationship with and that was special to me, and that person is Ashwin Jacob. Uh, Ashwin's the host of the New Hollywood Podcast. He His story is inspiring, but he's actually even a better person than he is an entrepreneur. Uh, when Ashwin moved uh, from Boston to L.A., he, he was 20 years old. He had three months' worth of rent and $500 to his name. In L.A., $500 doesn't exactly go a long way, so he had to make it happen. And within a short period of time, he started working with Playboy. He's worked with massive brands like NBC Universal, Disney, MTV. He's worked with top celebrities like Tara Lowens, Sarah Silverman. And more importantly, he's an even better person than he is an entrepreneur. In this episode, you'll hear Ashwin talk about how he got started in the industry, some of the, the trials and tribulations he went through. He'll also, We also talk about the story where uh, I couldn't even get into one of his parties because I couldn't get to the front door, even though I was on the VIP guest list. So this guy is the real deal. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the episode, don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, review. All that stuff helps tremendously. I thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Do you ever wonder how some podcasts get thousands of new listeners and you don't? Do you wonder how people get featured in major publications? Do you ever wonder how Instagram videos go viral? Welcome to the Giant Voices Podcast, hosted by Carson Jones. Every week, we bring you the biggest names in podcasting, marketing, and public relations to help you break through the noise and take your brand to the next level. Oh, and we like to mix in the uncomfortable topics like mental health, anxiety, and the internal battles that keep us from growing. Now, let's get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Giant Voices Podcast. Today, I actually have the first guest on the podcast. This guest is near and dear to my heart. He's actually one of my first friends when I started coming out to LA. Uh, his name's Ashwin Jacob, host of the New Hollywood Podcast. A little bit of background about Ashwin before we bring him on. At the age of 20, Ashwin moved from Boston to LA. Not much in his pocket. He had $500 and three months worth of rent. Um, within that short period of time, Ashwin landed an ambassador position with Playboy. He's worked with massive brands like NBC Universal, Disney, and MTV. He's also worked with top celebrity talent like Terrell Owens, Sarah Silverman, and many others. And most importantly, he's a very good friend of mine. So this is very special to me. And uh, Ashwin, welcome to the show. Hey, Carson. Thank you for having me. Man, so there's so much we could talk about. I feel like uh, this is a little different than most podcasts that, that I'll ever do because we're such good friends. But the funny thing about it is like we, we've talked so much, become such good friends, but I, I never have heard, you know, the beginning story that moved to from Boston to LA, that uh, that living on the couch, that tough story, you know, like what happened in those first three months. So I know the success in the end, but what what was that first three months like getting started and moving out here with nothing in your pocket? So it was weird because I initially came out to LA when I was 20 years old for a party that I threw at the Playboy Mansion. And then I went back to Boston, worked a regular nine to five for a little bit, realized that I really loved entertainment. I got an opportunity to start a management company back in Boston while they were filming uh, films and ultimately realized that I needed to be in LA if I really wanted to advance. And I wasn't going to get an opportunity just based on the stuff I was doing in Boston. I needed to just take that leap of faith and make the move. Uh, so I wrapped up, got my master's degree at Emerson, hopped in a car, and uh, literally drove cross country uh, in about 50 some odd hours with two cases of Red Bull, got to my buddy's apartment in Marina del Rey, and one of his roommates was moving out into two bedrooms, so I split a room with him for about three months, and um, I had a leaking air mattress for that three months that I'd wake up in the middle of the night and put more air into 
it was a very interesting period of my life because every opportunity I thought I had, I would get that close and then find out that it was no longer available. The person I knew left or the job uh, position was not going to get hired or the company was having layoffs. Uh, so pretty much it was just failure, repeated failure over and over. And towards the end of the three-month period, I got a phone call from a management company, which was, hey, we'll take you on as a junior manager. This is a salary. I know it's a little bit less than what you're expecting, but it's more than most people that we would give to that came in with your experience and without a talent list at this point. Uh, so I was thinking about it. And within the same hour, I get a phone call from a friend that said, hey, I'll make you the head of talent. We can start a business together, managing talent. I have a lot of access. I have some previous experience and uh, we can try and make a go for it. But if we do this, since you're getting equity partnership, we'll have to wait until the company is making money to get you on a salary. So I slept on it for the night and I turned down the full-time job at the established company to go at it myself. And in some ways that was a big blessing because, you know, I had a better title. I had the opportunity to be the head of talent. I learned, I was in the physical meetings and I had a, you know, bigger role in the company itself. The downside was I didn't really have anyone to learn from. I learned on the go and it was a very tumultuous experience that taught me a lot about just perseverance, uh, that no one really hasn't figured it out. And ultimately it's the caliber of a person that you are more than what your resume is that allows you to truly succeed. So oh, I love that. And, uh, it's cool because I think every entrepreneur at some point like takes that chance. It's, it's you know, n nothing is guaranteed. So like, what do you think was the most difficult part about turning down that salary position to, to take that new role? And like, when, what was your first major breakthrough where you were like, okay, I think I, think I can actually do this. I think I can do this LA thing and I'm going to be successful here. So the hardest part is my job is already unorthodox. Like my family is Indian from India. My dad was working as a teacher in Nigeria. They work really hard so that I'd have an opportunity to live a better life here. And ultimately, you know, that's what my family knows is a nine to five job where you earn a salary and you have a guarantee and you're safe. And that's what, you know, societally is expected of most people once they graduate from college, get a job, you know, earn a good salary, get a 401k, start saving for retirement, plan to buy a house. And, um, that was something that sounds great in theory, but for me, I needed something more. I needed a life of passion. I needed to go after it. And I was never really that risk adverse because I realized that material things and that comfort are great, but ultimately taking that risk is what separates you and really allows you to thrive. Uh, I wanted to live a life without regrets. So I went after it and uh, I learned that it's harder than I thought it would be. You know, I see these stories online all the time. I get targeted with ads of how a person became a success in 30 days or 60 days. And the truth is, uh, Samuel Goldwyn put it best. I can make anyone a star. Give me two to five years. And that's really very much so true. You have to accept failure. You have to lean into failure and realize that there is no such thing as a perfect answer, a perfect response, or a perfect setup, or a perfect education. You just have to get used to the uncomfortable and just treat people well, do the right thing, and operate your business with ethics, which I think is probably one of the biggest things that you'll find out in business is if you operate with ethics, you'll build a good reputation.
and a good reputation can't be bought. That's something that is truly priceless. Yeah. And that's one thing that I, I found out about you very, very quickly. It's like every person I met that knew you, you know, knew, knew your name, knew how you did things and knew what you stood for. And I think that's something you, you know, you, you build up over time. Right? So take me through that. So when you were, when you had hit your first success, like what was that first big win for you in, in Hollywood? Like this, this new, this new venture, you know, you're obviously worried. You're like, there's no guarantee. There's no financial guarantee. There's nothing is guaranteed at this point. Like what was your first win where you actually said like, this is, I'm going to be able to do this. Was it a client? Was it an opportunity? You know, an event? What do you remember? What that was? It was a couple of stages. So it was a little bit multi-tiered the way that we did it. It was taking those coffee meetings. I would have these coffee meetings with one of my business partners, and we would meet with different talent and you know go through the pitch. You know, we're not a big shop. We don't have a big reputation, but the thing that we have is experience doing a couple of other things. I came from casting. A couple of other guys came out of production and we wanted to learn what you really wanted to do. My differentiator was I wanted to let you as the talent take the lead, decide what we wanted to do with your career, and then execute against that and to have them actively be involved in their business. So to really be a part of the team and really concerned about what the talent specifically wanted to do. Uh, And what made Vario pretty unique was we helped traditional talent and celebrities explore and expand on social media. And then we help digital talent expand and explore opportunities in traditional film, TV, and music. So we would sit there, we would do a deep dive, and then we'd say, hey, these are the action steps. So the first couple of meetings were a bit rough because I'm driving out to this meeting, I'm buying someone to lunch, and I don't know if anything is going to come out of it. And then we signed our first client. We signed the second client. We signed the third client. We booked the first client on an ad with Disney uh, opposite Lucy Hale for a commercial for Suicide Mountain. And I'm on the set. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I'm actually here. We're doing a deal. Disney booked us for another deal with another one of our talents. And then progressively, the business started to scale up. We signed a couple more clients. I was like, wow, this is great. And then I saw my commission checks in the beginning because, you know, some of my talent were just trying to get in the door with some of these big companies and build up their reels. And it was a lot smaller than I expected. And I'd say it took about like a good six months before I truly could survive. And in the beginning stages of it, it was responsibly credit card surfing. That meant, you know, taking a cash advance against a credit card to pay rent, buying food, uh, figuring out cheap ways to eat, you know, splitting a microwave meal into two meals sometimes. And I think that was, uh, really, really rough for me, dude. Like I went from having a good salary. I had a master's degree. I taught at colleges to really going after this dream and embracing that struggle, which was extremely difficult. But truly uh, looking back at it in hindsight, those are some beautiful memories. And those are still some of those friends that I am the closest to. Yeah, sometimes the uh, the most power is in the struggle. So, talk to me about Playboy. Like, I, I thought that was so interesting when we first met, and you told me you worked you worked at Playboy, and uh, I saw the pictures. I, you know, it's it's something you know as a kid everybody thinks about, and it's like oh, Playboy. Like, that's really cool. But w- what was that like? What kind of what was that opportunity like for you? So it was really interesting. Um, the first opportunity I got was to throw a party at the Playboy Mansion. Uh, I was about twenty years old in Florence, Italy. Met a couple of people that worked with Playboy throwing parties, and that was an amazing opportunity because I was like, this is the easiest sell ever. 
And when it came time for it, I was like, okay, this is the cost of the ticket. These are VIP tickets. This is a table. I got no's from a lot of people that I thought would be amped on the opportunity. Then I started getting creative, trying to place radio placements and radio giveaways. Then I started setting up nightclub gigs and booking models to come to these events. And then progressively, I learned a lot on the go. It was also my first foray into really digital marketing because Playboy had a university-based uh, marketing team, which was called Playboy U at that time point, and they built out their own little social network. They were doing campus activations around major colleges around the country and uh, college-geared uh, brand activations. So I did everything from the Sarah Silverman Comedy Central release party uh, for my college to a campaign with Axe, where we brought beer pong tables to different colleges with the theme of hashtag clean your balls, and it came with body scrubbers. Uh, so it was a really, really cool opportunity to leverage consumer psychographics, the early stages of social media, because at this point, you know, MySpace was there, Facebook was there, Instagram was starting to create, but honestly, it was really there on Facebook. Facebook was uh, the jam back then. And uh, that was my first foray into real entertainment-based brands, real live activations, and how to do it scrappily, because I really wanted to stand out to the corporate team at Playboy. So anytime they gave me an activation, I would probably have the results that they would end up posting on the Playboy U websites. So I'd do like a takeover of like, oh, check out this awesome activation we did with Playboy. And it would be like pictures that I took. And it would be like such a cool experience for me because, you know, I took these photos on a digital camera that I bought for 150 bucks at Walmart a while ago. And my photos that I'm taking not as a professional photographer are getting published on a big website that gets a lot of traffic. So it was really cool to see a campaign that I envisioned in my mind with little direction come to life. It's so funny that, you know, going from that and everything that you've learned to now, you know, working with the biggest brands and biggest celebrities in the world, a story that, you know, both, both of us know that uh, I haven't really told is, you know, one of the first times we ever hung out was I actually, I was, I was coming to one of your parties and even being on the, on the guest list and knowing one of the guys throwing the party, you know, it was hosted by Diddy's son, Ciroc, like huge party in, Be in Beverly Hills. And I couldn't even get in because we were, uh, you know, there were so many people waiting outside. They were like busting, busting down the gate and me being like, even on the VIP list, couldn't even get access to the door. It, it's crazy. So like, what is, what is that like? like? How do you go from, you know, not working, but, and then it's coming out to LA and then being able to now have such access, like, how are you able to get access to this top talent? Like the Terrell Owens, Sarah Silverman, you know, the Diddy connection, like some of the biggest names you've worked with, like, what is the key to working with that top industry talent and getting those contacts? So my business is purely inbound. I don't proactively sell. I actually hate sales. I hate being, you know, a salesy type person. I really like people. I love people. So I try and care about people in every interaction that I get into. I try and do the right thing. If I'm able to help, I just help. And it's oftentimes without a regard for myself. And that often leaves me, you know, feeling like super lonely. I'm probably one of those people that is always there for people. Uh, but when I need something, there's very, very few people that are there. And ultimately what happened was I had very little to offer. I didn't really have any connections at the beginning. I didn't really have too much access, but I knew that I could get people to like me because I actually liked people. So every person I met, I would take such a proactive interest in learning about them, what their interests were, what they were trying to do. And I have a pretty good memory. So I'd retain that information. Then progressively, as I met more people, I started introducing people to each other. So initially, I didn't necessarily have all the value, but 
but I knew other people that had value. And then by connecting these other people, they mutually thought I provided more value. So the funny thing is about the parties and the access, it really started with me caring about individuals. I had to learn that, you know, and humble myself that I didn't really present the value in the beginning. So I paid attention actively to every person that I met, found out what they did, found out what they were looking for, found out what stage they were, and just actively developed a genuine friendship. Then progressively, as I continued to meet more people, I started meeting the people that others needed access to. So I started connecting them. And then as that happened, those two people would think better of me. And they'd start inviting me to more things. And then progressively, I developed more of a skill set, more of a network. I started having a value in my own right. And you mentioned the parties, which is really, really funny for me because even to this day, I'm on a lot of the VIP or the talent list for a lot of these parties. I walk in, I know the person that's hosting it, I get treated well, I get a photograph on the step and repeat, I you know get a gift bag when I leave. Most people there know me. But when I show up to the door, I expect to get harassed. And I still do get harassed if I go to a place without the owner or the event manager knowing that I'm coming and physically out there, I'm going to get held up at that door. I'm going to get asked way more questions than the normal person. I've even thrown parties and had people on my staff have to walk me in to my own party because the security would not let me in that I paid uh, or you know, my door didn't let me in. And I think that's a really interesting conundrum is uh, as much as I've achieved, I still don't necessarily fit the mold. And I think that's part of what makes me unique and different and just, you know, grateful for the experiences that I'm able to provide. And I think what makes my events or what I do very exclusive is the fact that I proactively try and vet people so that no one feels used. Because that's the worst possible thing that any celebrity, any brand owner, any business person can experience is feeling that people want them for things and not actually genuinely wanting to connect with them for who they are. So I try and curate my event with some of the most interesting and successful people that I know. And I try and make the premise less about who they are and more about what their passions are so that people can you know, truly connect without the idea that someone wants something. Um, so I think it's really taking it back to authentic, genuine relationships beyond just the idea of a like, a share, or fake social media love. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. You touched on that at the beginning and then at the end there, just this idea And LA is really like this a lot where there's a lot of collaboration and communication and a lot of people are, you know, connected in different ways, but you bring up a good point that it's still, you still feel almost isolated. Like how do you differentiate somebody that uh, is your friend that's actually looking out for your best interest and somebody that's just wanting access to a party or just wanting something else? I mean, dude, you've spent some time with me during a normal day. I probably get more text messages and phone calls than the average person. And at some level, that is a big dopamine hit. I am needed. I am wanted by other people. People want to spend time with me or you know, do things with me. But it's being aware of the fact that I am needed. Not that I am loved. Not that they actually like me. But they need me for something. So I think it's really a big uh, awareness thing. You have to be aware and it takes some time and maturity to kind of grasp uh, when people want things from you, when people actually care about you. Uh, and it's making that differentiation that you can't just make time for everyone that comes into your life. You need to be more selective of your time because we only have 24 hours in a day. There's only so many things on your checklist of stuff that you can get done. There's only so many people that you can get into an event. 
And uh, what are you willing to sacrifice? You know, there's some people that I actually care about a lot that go out of their way to support me. And sometimes they might not fit the criteria of my party, but they are a good person. There's someone that I enjoy being around and I feel like they could bring value in a different way. That's someone that I wanted there. There are other people that are borderline that may or may not fit in, but I truthfully don't benefit from having them in my life. They don't really care about me. And uh, they're maintaining that connection to get access, which is okay if that's you know the business transaction that they're looking to do. But at the end of the day, that is a business transaction. So it's really learning to differentiate between who your real friends are. For me, uh, what I do on Sundays now is I take a group of friends. We go to the farmer's market. We get some vegan tacos. Then uh, we either go to Melrose Training Post or do some other fun activity. It's finding the people that want to do something that doesn't have cameras. That's not just about the social media hype and actually about people, you know, just sharing stories and connecting as people. No, I, I love that. Like just over time, I think people will show you their true colors, you know, whether they're, if they're out for something, they won't make that time on a Sunday. They, they won't, uh, they won't have that conversation or spend a whole day with you. So I, I love that. And speaking of access, this brings me to my next topic I want to talk about because it's near and dear to my heart is your podcast, New Hollywood. Some of the, you know, we, we got connected because of your podcast and, you know, we, did a lot of cool stuff with it. I remember when we launched, one of the claims of fame I still have is that we beat Oprah, you know? So you've given people a ton of access to, to Hollywood secrets and some of that, the insider knowledge that you have. Like, what, what is New Hollywood? When you started, what was your vision for it and where, where is it at now? So New Hollywood for me was, I was a successful talent manager. I was a successful brand consultant. I was advising tech companies. I was doing a lot of strategy. I was doing coaching. Uh, but ultimately, everything I did was very high ticket. And I was that person that didn't come for money. I was the person that didn't have much to offer at the beginning. And I wanted to help people that were just like me that had this big aspirational dream, but their ambition far exceeded their current ability to achieve. So I developed this massive network of successful people. And what I did was I took some of the brightest business people. I took some of the biggest celebrities I know. I took some of the largest influencers on social media had them come on and share their losses, the dream that they had, how they started, and tangible secrets to how they achieved. So not, you know, I worked really hard, and then it eventually happened. But these are the tools that I did. These are the practices that I did. Exercises that people can start to start their craft and give that away for free. Uh, because LA is a place of transplants. It's for the people that don't necessarily fit in. I think some of the most aspirational stories are the person that no one believed in. You know, launching my podcast and putting myself front of camera was something that most people told me that I could not succeed at. It's the same thing with what my business was in the beginning. Everyone's like, this is a massive risk. There's no opportunity for you to really, really crush it. Uh, so why are you going to even take that risk? So New Hollywood is for that coyote type of person that is by themselves and they slowly find their pack. And they're just going after it and they're doing what they need to do to succeed and to survive. And uh, ultimately, my goal was to beat Oprah and beat Tony Robbins on that chart. And, you know, working with you was a great opportunity for us to chart above Oprah, you know, which is massive for a kid like me. Oprah has been on TV since we were both kids and she's a hugely recognizable name. And that allows people to see the level of production the level of care, the level of crafting, and the level of content that goes into making New Hollywood. You know, ultimately, I want to take it to syndication, getting it branded on 
network so that people can see the videos, establishing it as a brand that, you know, has clothing or other product endorsements to really hit the masses and change the stereotype that being successful is just for a limited few elite, but that if you proactively help the people that are in your life right now and you broadcast where your dreams are, that eventually things will click. You don't necessarily have to be that ruthless person. You just have to have a diehard work ethic to make things happen. Yeah. And I, I love that too, because you, you've actually found ways to, you know, take a podcast and use it in order to lead to other things. Like you've had on huge guests like Drama, Peter Marco, the KFC heiress, which one of my favorite episodes, if you if you get a chance, go listen, go listen to her. But the, the biggest thing, I think you talk about like what's next with a podcast, because most everybody asks me, like, how do I monetize a podcast? How do I get sponsors? How do I you know do this, do that? And I try to tell them that it's not necessarily about just getting sponsorship money. It's about what kind of opportunities and what networks, what networking, what, what you do with that podcast to help you grow your business. Like what kind of opportunities have opened up for you because of the new Hollywood podcast and the people you've been able to interview? I mean, I'm exploring original content on other shows. I'm exploring other acting opportunities. I'm exploring more stuff in the stand-up realm, uh, as well as scripted television and film opportunities. For me, it's really about having an integrated media business. You know, one of my biggest heroes in TV and film was Diddy when I was a kid. And I had the opportunity to help out with some of his clothing ventures and do that party with his son. And I'm very fortunate to, you know, have done something for one of my childhood heroes. And ultimately for me with the podcast, it's really about delivering value, delivering value for the listener that's trying to benefit from it, delivering value for the person that's already successful in supporting my show and delivering value for the person that's just trying to passively consume something on their way to work. But on the brand end and the way that I try and make money off of it, working with brands, sponsors, production companies, and platforms, it's really about delivering a good piece of content that brings value, that highlights the brand effectively, and enters it into the consideration set for the listener. I'm not concerned in just taking money from people because I need money to live. You know, yes, I do need money to pay for my bills. I need money to pay for, you know, things in my life and, you know, my rent. But ultimately, I need to provide real value for whatever business or brand that I'm working with for them to continue to work with me, for them to suggest my brand and my show for other opportunities. And I think that has been the the big differentiator on the brand side and on the entertainment side of my businesses. I am proactively concerned with aligning my goals with the people that are financially supporting, you know, my content and my creative, as well as the staff that, you know. Some people are volunteering. Some people are just helping me because I've done things for them in the past. Other people are reaching out because they got value from the show itself. And I think that is a very uh, beautiful and heartfelt thing. Ultimately, someone giving their time, their skill set, their talent is the biggest indicator of, you know, you're doing something right and that you need to be pushing this forward and that you are actively making an impact. And for me, that's what I do the show for. It's what my three guiding pillars in life are, which is influence, impact, and legacy. Because ultimately what matters when you're dead and gone, because we're only here for a speck of time, is what you've done for people that couldn't do anything for you. Got chills, Ashwin. I uh, I love it, man. And you really do live it. It's, it's, it's incredible just the selfishness and, you know, ability to give your time and efforts and all of your energy. Like anytime I'm with you, you know, you're, you're all in and all there. So I'm really grateful for the time that you've given me here today and the podcast, like these this knowledge is incredible. So, so Ashwin, if, if somebody wants to find you, if somebody wants to find your podcast, what's the best place for people to get in touch with you? 
So you can connect with me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's just Ashwin, A-S-H-W-I-N, last name Jacob, J-A-C-O-B, on Instagram and Facebook and um, Twitter. And then my podcast is at New Hollywood, N-E-W-H-O-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D. It's on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. I would greatly appreciate it if you got any value out of this conversation that I had with Carson on the Giant Voices podcast to check out my show, leave a five-star rating, share it on your story, uh, tag me in it, and I'll definitely share it on mine uh, because I really want to get the word out there. I really want to try and inspire and help people achieve their dreams. And uh, I appreciate you guys for checking it out and joining us on this conversation. Yeah, 100%. If you want to learn how to get in touch with top talent, you want to learn how to work with celebrities, you want to learn how to grow your business. Ashwin literally has had on a guest that's an expert in every industry, every walk of life. So definitely check out the new Hollywood podcast. Ashwin, I appreciate you so much for being on. And uh, thanks again. And we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, dude. Have an amazing day. Thanks for listening to the Giant Voices podcast. If you love the show, don't forget to subscribe, share and leave a review. Also, if you have questions, message us on Instagram at Giants underscore voices or message Carson at Carson Jones.